I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Friday, everyone. We made it through this week. We really did. I mean, we sure did, and we're ending it with, um, I mean, some good news, right? Oh, yeah. It's World Kindness Day. Oh, that's not the good news that I was talking about. I was called talking about, oh, my God. Wait, how ironic is it that Joe Biden basically won the presidency on World Kindness Day? Like, it's confirmed. Oh. I feel like it's confirmed, confirmed. That's amazing. Well, we're going to get into that because the <laughs> numbers so do... Random. Prove it. Yeah. I mean, it it shows where we're at. We're in a new stage of our lives in this country of kindness and compassion. I mean, even the day, uh, Ryan, that everyone was celebrating on Saturday when the numbers, the projections did come in, the original ones, right? Even though it it feels like forever ago, people were shooting pictures of rainbows. And I think it was in LA, but it felt very apropos to what was happening. Are you talking about our program director, Brian? I saw those photos (laughs) on Instagram. Why not just shout him out? No, I just, it wasn't just him. It was a lot of different people, but shout out to Brian Holt, our program director. Not you gave the last name. What if he didn't want people to know? Oops. (laughs) Well, they could just Google it. (laughs) You know, uh, thanks for the kindness, Ryan, on World Kindness Day. Let's get into what's trending this hour and also uh, coming up on the show. We've got the CDC here talking about how measles has shot up by over 500% worldwide. I mean, who knew we would be talking to the CDC? That's pretty cool. Yeah, we're in with the CDC, you know, we're, we're pals. Pretty official. Exactly. So let's get into what's trending this hour and the news that you just spoke about. Uh, President Trump spoke at the Rose Garden today and talked about Operation Warp Speed and basically took credit for the recent Pfizer vaccine that's more than 90% effective. As a result of Operation Warp Speed, Pfizer announced on Monday that its China virus vaccine is more than 90% effective. This far exceeds any and all expectations. Nobody thought they'd get to that level. And we have others coming which we think will be at equal level, maybe more if that's possible. In July, my administration reached an agreement with Pfizer to provide $1.95 billion. Our investment will make it possible for the vaccine to be provided by Pfizer free of charge. A few things to note here. One, he didn't talk about the projections at all. That shows officially that he lost um, and that Biden is at 306. Uh, He also continued to say China vaccine. And according to many insiders, he was very angry they came out with this vaccine, Pfizer, after the election. And he's basically, I guess, taking credit now for this. Yeah, he's planning on running in 2024. He has to be able to say he did something, but guess what? He didn't. And then also, I thought you were going to bring up the fact that he turned gray. He's like, oh, Joe Biden's going to be gray? Oh, no, I'm going to do it better. He didn't even dye his hair blonde anymore. He's fully gray. That's Talk just, about the important things, Shira. Okay, sorry. I was <laughs> leaving that to you. I just thought his hairstylist, like Pence and everyone else, called it quits. Hey, I'll like, quit. Peace out. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, we're out. Or like, who knows? Unfortunately, I'm not going to make a joke about someone getting um, COVID, but it seems like so many more people are getting COVID in that administration. So... Well, yeah, Someone I was mean, staying away. the Washington Post did report that about 138 of the Secret Service um, that were on the Trump campaign detail all are either quarantined or have caught COVID. So there is a lot going on there. Maybe someone in the Secret, Secret Service is doubling as his hairstylist. <laughs> okay, we need to move on. We need to move on. 
President Trump's campaign is walking away from a lawsuit alleging widespread irregularities involving a green error button on voting machines in Arizona's biggest county. That's one day after state evidence presented at a hearing revealed only 191 ballots were affected. The campaign's lawyer, Corey Langhofer, said in a court filing today in Phoenix that the number of ballots involved made the dispute irrelevant for the presidential race. Major media outlets have called Arizona for President-elect Joe Biden, who leads Trump by over 11,000 votes in the state. Uh, The Biden campaign said in an email statement, as we've said, the Trump campaign's lawsuit was frivolous and their motion to withdraw any claims of relief related to the presidential campaign confirms that this was nothing more than a waste of time. It's time to unite the country and move forward. Now, uh, Joe Biden will also win Georgia. That's according to a CNN projection today, making Biden the first Democratic nominee to win Georgia since Bill Clinton did it in 1992. Woo! Yes. Biden's victory adds 16 electoral votes, bringing him as we mentioned to 306. And that matches President Trump's 2016 total. How ironic. Uh, with uh, Trump winning North Carolina, the final tally is now 306 to 232. And that's pretty much a landslide for the president-elect who flipped five states and a congressional district in Nebraska from red to blue in 2020. So there you have it. That was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Well, speaking of World Kindness Day, let's talk about how kindness made Melissa McCarthy have to apologize for accidentally supporting a charity that is anti-abortion and anti-LGBTQ through her 20 Days of Kindness initiative that she and HBO Max launched while promoting this uh, their new movie, Supervillain. It has come to our attention that our 20 Days of Kindness, which is something, a kindness hub that we started to kind of shed light on 20 great charities, had one um, in there that there's no other way to say it. We blew it. We made a mistake and we backed a charity that upon proper vetting okay. stands for everything that we do not. So um, the charity Exodus Cry is an invent. Inve- Jellical organization dedicated to ending sex trafficking around the world. However, the nonprofit's founder, Benjamin Nolette, has um, a history of making anti-abortion and anti-LGBTQ plus comments, including calling abortion a holocaust and homosexuality an unspeakable offense to God. Um, Yeah, so she had, basically she thanked her fans for flagging the charity so she could make proper adjustments and Nick's Exodus cry from the 20 uh, days of kindness project. Let's be clear. Who names our charity Exodus cry? Like it's that doesn't Bible have a ring thing. to it. It's a Bible oh, sorry. Thing. Oh my God. I'm Jewish. <laughs> Blame it on being Jewish. Sorry. Well, either way, they're awful because look, I mean, the, the, the owner and the founder, he said some awful things. And honey, that is your TV report. Now coming up next, the Washington Post joins us to break down what we learned from Trump's latest Rose Garden presser. That and more next in two minutes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. As it seems like the final states of the presidential election were called today, leaving Biden at 306 and Trump at 232, and Trump hasn't conceded yet, will we continue to see a push to invalidate ballots? Or is this strange nightmare finally over? Jacob Bogage is back with us from the Washington Post. Thanks for being here today. Yeah, always good to be on the program. And we keep saying how we all look more and more disheveled as the days continue. You guys look great. I don't know about me. Appreciate it. Well, so we just saw uh, Trump speak in the Rose Garden. Did we learn anything new? Did he kind of concede with that slip up at the beginning? I think we saw inside his head a little bit. We saw uh, Donald Trump, who had significantly less energy in a White House that is emptying out. I mean, people are either looking for other jobs or they're sick or they're both sick and looking for another job right now. I mean, his chief of staff is not in the White House right now, Mark Meadows, because he has the coronavirus. And so we, you know, his hair looked different. His hair looked less yellow and bronzy. And we heard him start talking about, you know, oh, well, when another administration, you know, I hope they don't shut down the White House. And so we, I think we have seen inside the president's head that he, he's starting to realize the jig is up. Is this a concession? Absolutely not. Is it within the realm of what a statesman or a president should be doing to preserve American democracy and inspire confidence in our political systems? No. Is this as close as we're going to get 
Maybe. What are we waiting for at this point, especially if his team is dropping all those lawsuits? So from the president himself, we're waiting for a more concrete concession. I don't know if that's going to come until these lawsuits peter out. But I saw some tweet earlier today that the president Trump and his legal team are the Washington generals of lawsuits. The Washington generals being the team that plays the Harlem Globetrotters and loses every game. Um, yeah. So I, we will have to wait to see those lawsuits play out, but they really have not caught on. And there have been a lot of clerical errors. I mean, this has just been sloppy work. So it's going to take those lawsuits playing out. It's going to take states certifying their election results. And that should be happening in the next 10 days to two weeks. Well, again, we're talking to Jacob Bogage from the Washington Post. Didn't uh, they pulled out of Arizona, the lawsuit there. Um, and didn't the legal team uh, quit? Like one of the legal firms that was working with him decided to say goodbye? Yeah, there's been a lot of upheaval in his legal teams. Uh, there's a lot of instability there in Arizona. There was an interview that one of his, his, I think the President Trump actually gave to uh, the Washington Examiner that they were still trying to pry away votes in Wisconsin. But Wisconsin's been called for a week now, if not more. They've still got to look at Georgia. They think they can make up votes in Georgia. They still think they can make up votes in Pennsylvania. So they're still fighting these legal battles. The problem is those legal battles or election audits or recounts, maybe they turn 150 votes, right? It's a a dozen in one county, half Mm -hmm. a dozen in another county, et cetera, et cetera, all through the state you're not going to flip 11,000 votes or an election audit. Pennsylvania is close to 50,000 votes. You're not, I mean, you know, that's the ballgame. Yeah, he can keep fighting this. And and I suppose he has a right to do that. But we also all, the rest of us have the right to get on with our lives. That is true. Uh, Let's talk about the claims, including from this USPS whistleblower that he saw ballot tampering, because you've been busy covering, of course, the USPS throughout the election. Is this something to really look at? Because it seems like there were lots of claims and Project Veritas was behind this. Should we be worried about them as this continues to, to be questioned? So this is a case of he said, he said, he said, and they're all the same person. This is a postal worker in Erie, Pennsylvania, who signed a sworn affidavit that he saw some sort of ballot tamper. He was interviewed by uh, law enforcement agents who were like, I've listened to this tape. They're immensely kind to him and tell him that he's speaking to them voluntarily and they're not coercing him. And this is a very professional interview. And uh, at the end of it, this guy can't stand by his claims. He overheard a fragment of a conversation. He didn't know what the context was, but he signed this affidavit anyway because he's being... He, he's working with this far right group, Project Veritas, that tries to inspire doubt in key government institutions. And then, after you know, my colleagues and I at the Washington Post were able to report that uh, this postal worker recanted on his claims, he denied ever recanting. So again, it's a he said, he said, he said, but they're all the same person kind of going back and forth. I think that tells you everything you need to know about this gentleman's credibility and also the credibility of the agency he's working with. All right. So Project Veritas. We don't need to be worried about them. They're not going to like try to continue to create drama. Oh, of course, they'll try to continue to create drama. And and to an extent, they're succeeding. I mean, the the two top Republicans on the House Oversight Committee today wrote to the Postal Service Office of Inspector General saying, we want you to release all of the documents in your investigative file. We want you to come brief us again and tell us more about uh, ballot manipulation inside the Postal Service when there's absolutely no evidence that ballot manipulation has occurred inside them. We have jumped the shark here. We are in the realm of people saying, well, you can't prove it didn't happen. That's a really damaging place to be for getting on with our lives, for our political institutions, for the nation's mail service. Well, Jacob Bogage, thank you again for being with us. As always, we hope you get some rest this weekend. Thanks so much, guys. That was Jacob Bogage from The Washington Post. Now coming up, the election delivered a major blow to affirmative action in California. So where will it land in the future? We discuss that next in two minutes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. California rejected Proposition 16 over this election that would have repealed a ban on affirmative action that voters approved in 1996. Seems kind of complicated. We're going to like explain it all and figure out what actually happened. An opinion columnist, Charles Lane from The Washington Post, 
joins us right now for this. Thanks for being here. Well, I'm happy to help. Thank you. No, we appreciate it. First, tell us a bit more about Prop 16 and who was behind it. It feels like there was some confusion about what it was and like, and if it was for or against affirmative action. Yes. Well, Proposition 16 was a ballot question to repeal Proposition 209, which was passed by the voters in 1996 and basically said the state could not discriminate on the basis of race, sex, or national origin in university admissions, public employment, or contracting. And the idea was that that meant you couldn't discriminate in favor of people uh, of color and other historically oppressed minorities and women. And so some of the confusion, I guess people say they felt, was that to repeal that could be framed as reinstating discrimination. It does get a little confusing when, in fact, this was considered an anti-racist cause, Proposition 16, that is. And when you ask who was in favor of it, it would be probably easier to ask who was not uh, endorsing Proposition 16 because the entire state political leadership, really, uh, many big businesses, the public sector unions, and all the professional sports teams in the Bay Area, that's a partial list of those who endorsed. But it ended up losing 57 to 43 anyway. And it was a huge disappointment to people who thought that this moment, you know, this year, when so much has gone on since George Floyd, that affirmative action, race-conscious admissions in universities in the UC system could be reinstated. So when we're talking about identity politics, right? And I think, you know, we've heard like Stacey Abrams say that, you know, identity politics is who we are and it's kind of inherently a part of the voting process when someone is going into the ballot and they're voting and all these things. How did that play into this moment? Because I guess it seems like a lot of people felt like it being defeated was kind of a sign that people did not change after this racial and civil awakening that this country was experiencing. Well, needless to say, this is the most sensitive possible topic. But I think one has to be very realistic about the fact that it looks like identity politics was kind of a double-edged sword here. Because think about the current situation in California under the current law, right? Asian Americans who are an historically oppressed group, especially in California, if you know the history of how the Chinese and Japanese Americans have been treated in that state, they fare pretty well under the current law. That is to say, Asian Americans are about 14 to 15 percent of the state population and about double that, for example, in the undergraduate population at Berkeley. So you were asking a group that does well under the current situation to change the current situation. And that is always a tough sell. And I think the polls before and the voting results after the election showed that one of the main reasons that this this Proposition 16 lost is that in heavily Asian American counties, such as uh, Santa Clara County and Orange County, it ran well behind uh, the Democratic national ticket which incidentally included a California Senator Kamala Harris who had endorsed Proposition 16. Yeah, that's surprising. Um, And again, we're talking to opinion and columnist Charles Lane from the Washington Post. So where does this leave affirmative action in California and nationwide? Well, California is easy. It leaves it right where it was before. That is uh, the state, for example, just to pick UCLA and Berkeley and the other UC schools, for example, they cannot consider applicants race, at least not openly, in admissions decisions. They can do other things like they have been doing, which is to do intensified outreach. Maybe they should do more to uh, schools, uh, high schools and community colleges where uh, students of color tend to uh, go at that level. They can favor people in admissions on the basis of income obstacles that they've had to overcome, which tends to correlate with race a little bit, but they can't do anything different from what they are currently doing. Nationally, it doesn't necessarily affect anything except the political and psychological climate in which now opponents of affirmative action elsewhere can point to this very large defeat for affirmative action in California and suggest that that's representative of national opinion. And that might be significant because there's a lot of uh, litigation in the federal courts right now uh, attempting to get rid of affirmative action at Harvard and the University of North Carolina. 
And within a few years, that could wind up at the Supreme Court. Wow. All right. Well, thank you again for being with us for this. Really interesting. I was glad to do it, Shira. Yeah, that was opinion columnist Charles Lane from The Washington Post. Coming up next, why Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner had to pull their kids from their day school. That's next in two minutes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. The Jews, they love to gossip, you know, uh, and I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, I'm representing and I'm telling you the Jews love to gossip. How are you? But you don't even claim yourself to be a good Jew. So I I don't know. know. But what I'm good at, though, no, actually, I. I don't gossip really, but I'm around it enough. So I know I'm oh, a you witness. Do gossip. You do no, gossip. Shut okay. <laughs> so, you know, all these Jewish newspapers and publishers and websites had a, a field day with this one, Ryan. Mm-hmm. So this is what went down between uh, with Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner and their ch- kids who are right now attending school. So they had to withdraw their kids from their Jewish day school in D.C., blaming it on the school's reluctance to resume in-person learning. But actually, and this is where the, the Jew gossip comes in, the <laughs> Jewish Telegraphic Agency reports because <laughs> they did their research. They went in. And they said that parents had actually complained about the couple's repeated refusal to comply with COVID-19 protocols intended to not only keep the school community safe, but ensure that in-person learning can safely resume. They said, this is from one mother. I got, they got in touch with a mom, okay, who said there was concern for the safety of children because it was very clear the Kushner parents were violating public health recommendations. Because they are. You think? Yeah, they are. The whole administration, the whole family is. And if I was spending a whole bunch of money at a private school where my kids so happened to go with their kids, I would be pissed. I would not want my kids to be in the same space. I would not want my kids to even be around them. And I wouldn't want to see the parents' face either. Not for how much money I'm possibly spending. I mean, for real, the breaking point parents are saying, was the super spreader Rose Garden event for Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett. That was the tipping point of all of this. Which it should be. Yeah, that would have been the tipping point, too, because they were still denying it. Donald Trump had already had it and they were still denying it and and not acting like it wasn't happening. So, of course, yeah, I... I always wonder this, especially, and I didn't even think about this until the story pops up, but this idea mm-hmm. of like going to the same school as their kids. Like, I wonder oh, if yeah. their kids are liked. I wonder if their kids are like, well, like, I don't know, because I feel like the, being the kids of parents like that, like how we talked about Baron, has to come with some like troubles, right? People are probably talking about you and trying to make your life a living hell, which sucks. So listen, their kids are pretty young, so I don't know how much that is happening. You There's can still definitely be bullied when you're young. Parents. That's true. That's true. Uh, th- this was not mentioned there. And of course, we have reported about Orthodox Jews not really complying, but these are not Orthodox Jews. So I think they were seeing this happen and you're seeing it on national TV. You're like, I wonder if you're hanging out in big gatherings and you see the whole family at a big gathering. Some of the most notorious big gatherings our country has seen that have caused many people to be COVID-19 positive. And you're saying, okay, now I'm connecting the dots. They're there, then they're there. And then they're like basically possibly in class with my kids. Are you taking us into a a conversation on the the Jew goths message? I'm basically playing it out for you right here. Mm. Uh, So that's what went down. So I guess they moved to another Jewish day school and, They're doing fine there. But, you know, Caroline Hurley, a White House spokeswoman, has spoken out about this. They said unnamed sources attacking a family's decision about what is best for their kids in the middle of a pandemic is shameful, as is true for all families. Schooling choices and education are deeply personal decisions, and they owe no one, especially idle gossip seeking press attention and explanation. Gross. That's the same thing that those anti-vaxxers say. That you don't need an oh, explanation. Listen, I think if you're going to be in your own bubble and like literally not around anyone else, do you. Do your own thing. If you're going to be with other people, you need to respect other people's decisions and kind of follow the tribal rules. Now, coming up on the show, what K-pop fans did to take over hashtag Million Maga March on Twitter today. More details on that next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, the CDC is joining us. I find this so cool. It feels very legit. I mean, very to legit. Talk about, 
yeah, they're they're not here to talk about COVID-19. They're here to talk about measles, but it actually does connect to COVID-19. And so stay tuned for that conversation right after this. And let's just say they're super excited to talk about measles, which seems like a pretty depressing conversation. But the CDC is like, yes, please. <laughs> yeah, they, it, they need help right now because something's not working if it just keeps increasing the way it is. Right. Uh, plus, we have someone who founded a company, a COVID-19 testing company during the pandemic joining us, who's going to talk about why some states she believes are not handling the testing properly. Do you think it would be bad if I ask her how much money she's making? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a journalist question. <laughs> I just need to know if we should. You're always trying to pitch something to me about us working yeah, together. Yeah, the hustle. Side should, we, hustle. should we start a company? Who knows? <laughs> yeah, to compete. Yeah, that's all. That's all our guests want us to start competing companies after they tell us everything. Okay, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Now, this is really interesting. It seems like Trump's closest pals are even trying to get him to concede. Here's Geraldo Rivera on Fox News talking about a call they had. Uh, where Trump actually called him and Geraldo says it was like a wellness call. And the, and the kids and how everybody was faring in the light of everything. And he was uh, uh, it, it like, a, like a dad uh, who's, who's, who's got you know, his hands full, but he certainly knows his responsibilities. He knows his duties. And right now he's very anxious as to how these efforts are going. So it seems like he will concede at a certain point. He's just kind of fighting the the last fight he can fight right now. It's like he's he he described like he's a boxer in the ring and he's just like waiting to ring that bell, but he's, he's hoping for that last swing. I'm tired of talking about Trump conceding or not. Like it's so annoying. I well, can't wait till we move past this. And the next question though, will he run again? Here's what Geraldo had to say. The the sentiment that I drew from this conversation that this is a frustrated man. I think that he's he's wounded, but he's still strong and he wants to do everything he can to make sure that this is a just result. All right. And I, I again, I, this I is, just... let me separate him from me. I, I just think that the, expect if this thing goes against him, you, you're going to have Donald Trump to kick around again, because I have no doubt but that this man will rise to the occasion again and run in 2024. So if you're sick talking about him, well, sorry. We might be talking about this again in 2024. Oh, girl, I'm about to talk about Trump again in the T-Report. So. <laughs> Moving on. Oh, all right. A Pennsylvania court ruled that a small number of mail-in ballots from first-time voters who took advantage of an extended deadline to verify ID will be tossed. The court ruled that the Pennsylvania Secretary of State lacked statutory authority to override election law and extend the deadline by three days. And so state officials said the ruling will not affect the Pennsylvania election results, though. So a few of those votes tossed, but overall it doesn't affect the results. Meanwhile, the law firm leading President Trump's lawsuit in Pennsylvania is backing out of a federal case it filed on Monday. Porter Wright Morrison Arthur has abruptly withdrawn from Trump's effort to challenge votes from Philadelphia and other Democratic-leaning counties where Democrat Joe Biden has been declared the winner. And that's according to a court filing first reported by The New York Times. Now, Gap saw a surge in clothing sales during the 2020 election. And it's not because of that red and blue sweatshirt, Ryan. Mm. There was one particular item that caught everyone's attention. Oh, of course. The clothing chain... Yes. I wonder if you know the answer. Oh, yeah, I do. I'm so excited. Okay, well, all right. The clothing chain says sales of its standard khaki pants increased after it was revealed that MSNBC's map guru Steve Kornacki wore them on Election Day and beyond. I told you Steve, Steve Kornacki is a sex symbol. He is bae, and I'm so happy everyone is realizing it now. And also... Are we really sure it was just like regular people wearing like khakis or was it like white supremacists just ordering a, a ton of khakis? Because that's like their favorite go to outdoor wear. Who knows? Because they knew they'd have to go on a bunch of rallies. <laughs> right. <President laughs> Who yeah, knows? Know. We'll, we'll see. Well, the pants in question, uh, they sell for about 60 bucks, but there are a lot of discounts if you want to go to Gap and dress like Steve Kornacki. Uh, and this week, also hundreds of Twitter users urged Kornacki to donate his necktie to the Smithsonian Institution after he revealed it was held together by a staple 
why he covered the presidential election. He literally tweeted this photo, Ryan, on Wednesday afternoon, revealing that the seams on the back of his blue and green striped tie had come undone. And he tried to quickly repair his tie by stapling the seams back together. And in the caption of that photo, he said, against all odds, the staples held through the election. But now I think the time has come to finally retire my tie. Yes, here I started the fan club for Steve Kornacki, so it's I know okay. all of this. <laughs> all right, congratulations! You get a sticker. <laughs> and that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so let's talk Vince Vaughn in the T-Report. Uh, the actor came under fire, if you don't remember, in January when he was seen shaking hands with President Donald Trump after chatting with him and First Lady Melania at a college football national champ- championship game. Well, he cleared the air in an interview with the Los Angeles Times months after so many people expressed anger at Vaughn for being, you know, basically friendly with Trump. Uh, despite their, you know, friendly trap, Vaughn actually backed Rand Paul in the 2016 election rather than his seatmate. So it's so interesting. Um, I think that's why people were like, oh, Vaughn, Vince Vaughn may be a Republican, which is kind of gross, but here's what he had to say. He said, in my career, I've met a lot of politicians who I've always been cordial to. I've met Nancy Pelosi and was cordial to her as well. He said, it was the only time I've ever met Trump. We said hello. He was very personable. I didn't get into policies. He then also continued by saying, I think people are more charged than ever about these things. But I don't think most people take that stuff as seriously as the small percentage that's making noise about it. Now, that's pretty false. I don't know about what where he thought about that, but we got to wrap up because I'm going to let y'all go and read his full take on WeAreChannelQ.com. Are you know are you still pro Vince Vaughn? I think he was, I always have thought he was like kind of cute, you know? He's like a t- so tall and manly. And he has stuff. a sex appeal, that, yeah. He does, he does. That's your tea report. Okay, Steve Karnacki and Vince Vaughn fan club. (laughs) My taste. Yes. Now, coming up, the CDC joins us next to explain why measles is on the rise worldwide and how they're hoping to change that. That's in two minutes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Now, according to this article by Julia Belouz on Vox, the last several years have been terrible for measles. It's seeing a comeback, everyone. It's highly contagious, of course. It's a vaccine-preventable childhood disease. And unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the next few years are not going to be better, okay? Measles cases increased by 556% globally by 2019 from a historic low in 2016. And around the world, deaths also shot up nearly 50% in that period to 207,500 last year. Those are crazy stats, aren't they, I mean, insane. It kind of scares me. It makes me not want to leave the house anymore. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, And uh, the laugh you're hearing uh, is going to be helping us understand what is happening. He's CDC's Dr. Rob Lincoln's chief of the Vaccine Preventable Disease Eradication and Elimination Branch. That's quite a mouthful. Thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Now, this is quite worrisome. What is causing this increase? Well, we know that measles is prevented by vaccination, and we know that this increase, unfortunately, means the children are not getting vaccinated. So it's a failure to vaccinate kids who need to be vaccinated. We have a very safe and effective vaccine uh, that's been in use for the last 50 years. And um, since 2000 has saved more than 25 and a half million lives. So we know the vaccine works. We know it's safe. And it's just a real tragedy that we're still seeing deaths even one death from this this disease, but over 200,000, it's just so sad. Yeah, it's really sad. And I wonder, you know, has social distancing or quarantining helped kind of stop the spread? What happens once we're in that place where things kind of start going back to normal? Yeah, so it's a very interesting question. So of course, with COVID uh, prevention precautions that we're taking, that's wearing masks and social distancing, those activities, uh, those interventions actually serve to decrease our risk of measles exposure. So people are less likely now to actually be exposed to the measles virus than they were before the COVID pandemic. Unfortunately, what we're also seeing is people are less likely to get vaccinated Essentially, what's happened is parents are more reluctant now 
to take their children in. And this is worldwide. It's not just the United States. They're more reluctant to take their children in to get a vaccine. And we know that there are measles campaigns that are planned. We do these throughout the year, every year, and that 92, 92 million people globally are actually at risk of not getting those measles campaign doses because they've been postponed in 2020 due to COVID precautions. Yeah, got it. And that's a real uh, worry. Talking uh, to CDC's Dr. Rob Lincolns right now, uh, but let's talk about like 2016. What happened after 2016? Because you saw a historic low. And then there's obviously this narrative uh, and then the anti-vax movement that's happening. So what is the CDC doing to manage this movement that is really impacting the world right now? So in order to, to prevent measles from occurring, in order to stop outbreaks from happening, you need herd immunity. And I'm sure you're all familiar with the concept of herd immunity, given right. all the discussion about that with COVID. So for measles, measles is really, really infectious. You need between 93 and 95% of your population to have herd immunity. And you can get that through two things. One, getting exposed naturally to the virus and seroconverting and getting measles and measles is deadly, so that's not a very good option. Or you can get two doses of measles vaccine. And with two doses of measles vaccine at 95% coverage, we are able to calculate that that will produce the 93 to 95% herd immunity that you need to stop circulation of measles virus if it happens to be imported into a population. Yeah, but it seems like it's not working. He'll know this. People know the information, but you have these movements that are basically telling people not to get vaccines. So that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out. What is this uh-huh, uh-huh. doing beyond what you're doing now? Because we're going to see this with this vaccine. We're going to see this, the COVID vaccine. There needs to be some sort of like communication or bridging the gap here with these groups. Right. So, so definitely, I think, I think CDC has gotten and needs to get even more aggressive in getting out front and producing science to counter these really falsehoods that, that are now, you know, rampant around the world, but really more so in the Western uh, world than, than elsewhere. In fact, where I work, which is in the developing world, you go to these countries that are poor, that need help. The parents aren't hesitant to get vaccine. They want to get their children vaccinated. The problem is actually getting the vaccine Mm. to these outposts to actually have the vaccine accessible for these children. And that's really the crime. So that's in large part, that, that that's a much bigger piece okay. of this. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us for this. We appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. Yeah. And thanks see- for your yeah. interest in measles. <laughs> you know. It's, it's really a very, very important disease. It really is. No, and, and, it's, and it's very sad what's happening. So we thank you for mm-hmm. all your work. Seriously, you're like a hero. Yeah, that was CDC's Dr. Rob Lincoln's chief of the Vaccine Preventable Disease Eradication and Elimination Branch. Now coming up, what it's like to test people for COVID-19 all day and what you need to know about all the testing that's coming up in two minutes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. What's it like to test people with COVID-19 all day long and how do those nurses and technicians stay safe? Well, Dr. Naomi Dabby, the CEO and co-founder of ModMDLA, is here with us right now. They launched during the pandemic. And so thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about this because you're working in the ER before this and working with those who are in the ICU dealing with COVID-19. And then what made you want to launch this? It was really just answering um, the call from the community. Many friends and colleagues were looking for testing and it was something that I was able to help provide and it's just grown from there. I mean, you are a hero. I mean, anyone who's working in this is honestly a hero. So hats off and round of applause to you. How many tests are you actually doing per day? Um, we're doing approximately six or 700 tests a day in Los Angeles. And then we're doing, you know, another several hundred all around the country. Wow. So how does this work? You have different options, right? Because it is a, a private and you'll come to people's homes. Absolutely. So we do a number of things. Um, we do a um, at your home concierge service where we come and we provide COVID testing at your house for you. So you don't have to go to a clinic. You don't have to go get exposed anywhere. 
Um, and then a lot of our business is providing help to businesses and production. So we'll come to your production site, we'll come to your business office, your manufacturing warehouse, and we'll test everybody in those spaces to help keep the business safe. That's probably the majority of the business is helping um, with keeping businesses open and keeping people working. Nice. Because I was, I would assume, like, I have so many friends and, of course, like, even myself where I get nervous. If I get just a, a regular little cough, I'm like, oh, my God, do I need to go get a COVID test? Do you feel because of the anxiety around everything that some people are just kind of getting tests for no reason? Like, are you seeing that or should we get tests all the time? I mean, well, that's, that's an interesting question. I, I don't think that we should necessarily get tests all of the time. I do appreciate people who are thinking about why and when they are doing it and how often they are getting tested. Mm. However, I also really believe it's the only way forward. Mm. Like the only way that we're going to have our city get back to normal, our lives get back to normal is getting our businesses going by getting people tested and working safely together. So because of the pricing, I mean, some uh, sometimes it's covered by insurance, the more quick tests aren't. And obviously that's not accessible. Do you feel like it's on businesses to do this for employees? Absolutely. And there are many businesses that are doing this for employees. Yep. Be correct about the pricing, Shira. It's not sustainable. And our country, for our country to go forward, they're going to have to figure out a way to do this for a much lower price point with rapid testing. Right. And I would assume, are you doing the nasal swabs? Because like, is I, this may be me taking a, a dive, but is it weird mm-hmm. looking up people's noses all the time? <laughs> That's pretty funny. We do a lot of nose swabs. <laughs> True. Uh, we're doing a lot of nasal swabs. There are now, there's now a good saliva test okay. that the Yale study um, validated. They actually made it open source. The Yale saliva study, it's called. Um, but yes, we're doing a lot of nasal swabs. But a lot of the nasal swabs now don't have to go all the way up into your brain. They only go about an inch up on both sides of your nose. Again, we're talking to Dr. Naomi Dabby, who's the CEO and co-founder of ModMD LA, who do COVID-19 tests. And I, I did want to know with, uh, uh, there's, I think Ticketmaster announced that, that they're going to make people have a test before attending concerts. Do you think that's the future? Is it going to be something we can rely on? Absolutely. We do it all the time, Shira. I'm clearing events every weekend. We have, we've actually been, I'm very proud to say that since June, we have been consulting and helping events open um, at a variety of sizes. Um, and we're really proud of ourselves. And we kind of do the follow-up after to see how it's going. And we've had no outbreaks in tested events that are done safely. And we talked to we talked to a ton of healthcare professionals on the show, and we've talked about you know their perspective, especially with how this administration has kind of handled the facts and the narrative around this thing. Does it get frustrating to you to see kind of the uptick in cases and like how we're still kind of going through this? Like, what are your personal thoughts? Because you're doing a lot of work. Yeah, of course it does. Actually, it's you know it's interesting you bring that up. So as I started to expand across the country, I was. Still- studying what's been happening with the public health, like city provided testing. And it is so horrendous. I think that all of our public testing sites have really failed us. And I think that's been a part of why we have a problem across the country. For example, when I first opened in Atlanta, um, the public testing sites in Atlanta had an eight to 10 day turnaround time. So the city was paying for it. Our tax dollars were paying for these tests, but the People who were running the tests were taking eight days to get them back. And so as you might understand, you know, a person who's like, wow, I have a fever. I don't feel well. I'm going to go be a good citizen of Atlanta. I'm going to go get a test. But now the next eight days, they don't get their answer. And they're out and about interacting with their neighbors, their friends, their Mm -hmm. colleagues. And then eight days later, they find out they're positive. And by then, they have infected hundreds of people, and probably one or two of them have died. Mm. Yeah, that, and it obviously is why businesses like yours exist. So finally, um, are you afraid of catching the virus, like, or the nurses or lab technicians? Like, what precautions do you all take? Absolutely. It's a great question. So we provide um, the nurses and the technicians with pretty robust PPE. So they get an N95 mask. They get eyewear to protect their eyes because we do believe now that this virus can enter through your eyes. They get gloves. And then they also sometimes are using gowns. And so I'm sure you've seen testing sites where people are dressed mm-hmm. pretty to the T in order to be protected. And I know I'm not afraid. I, you know, I worked in the hospital in a COVID ICU. I worked in the emergency room. I think we've learned really, really well how to protect ourselves and how to handle our hygiene as we go in and out of our houses and as we go in now the hospital. 
All right. Well, Dr. Naomi Dabby, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Nice uh, Dr. Yeah, Dr. Naomi is the CEO and co-founder of ModMD. For more info, because you heard it's in many different cities, ModMDLA.com. And coming up next, why you don't need to explain your reason for taking a day off. Stop doing it. That's coming up next in two minutes. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Do you need a reason to take a day off? Well, this tweet that went viral opened up this conversation and I wanted to bring it to our table today. You know, our, our Zoom table, not the red table. Oh, God. You know, we never have a red table. You're like a dad making dad jokes. Hey. Uh, because, you know, and for Ryan here, Ryan has never liked taking the day off and we can get into that later. Uh, but- we only have four minutes. Okay, let's talk about the tweet. Uh, It said this, normalize not telling your boss what your day off is for. And just that simple statement, it went viral. It has over 519,000 likes, 78.2 thousand retweets. Why do you think this resonated so much, Ryan? Um, Because I think when you take days off or you take sick days off, especially in our culture, it mm-hmm. can be looked down upon, right? It can People can look down at you on that. And I think for me, I've had past experiences while I was working in spaces or coming into the workforce where I was either told, if you take days off or if you're not showing up in the way that you need to show up to, one, impress your coworkers or your boss, then there's going to be someone else coming right up after you, proving that they can do it better than you and you miss an opportunity. And so I think a lot of people have that type of mindset and it can really be toxic to be quite honest. And I think people are now, Mm -hmm. especially after experiencing a pandemic and experiencing working from home, I think our goals are shifting and people are are now saying, well, if I want to take a day off, I'm going to take a day off. I don't need to no longer explain to my boss or make an excuse. Something I would do all the time is make an excuse being like, oh, I have a doctor's Mm. appointment. And really, I didn't. It's like all these things, right? And so I think now we've completely shifted how we think. Yeah, there also needs to be this trust, right? If I've hired you if I'm working with you, right? And you say you need this time off. Do I trust that you actually do? And if I don't trust you, why am I even working with you if there's that lack, right? And I think we need to trust each other that if you are making that decision for yourself, you're a mature adult, you probably need it. And you shouldn't explain that to me. And I shouldn't have to feel like I need that explanation from you. I will say a bonus um, at my last job, especially here in the state of California, if you don't use like your vacation days or your sick days or something, mm-hmm. you get it, it becomes like you get paid out on those. And I did enjoy that because I got paid okay. out because I had about like 40 some hours, like even more than that. I think I had about like 60 or 70 hours of stuff that I got paid out on because I had never used it. And I was working for that company for about like three, almost three years. And so I do think I, I've switched my mindset to be quite mm-hmm. honest like I, that moment that iconic moment she is referencing when she did the show by herself after I did the show by myself she really just wanted <laughs> to prove something I thought you know that yeah. was a moment I woke up and was just like I can't do this today and I took a sick day and that's what sick days Good. are for whether you're actually sick or having a mental health day and that's why it's so important and you know like that whole thing you mentioned with your previous job like good on you if that's your strategy if you're just like counting those hours because you want to get that money yes go for it you know like like get yourself a sick present or vacation for that like if that's your strategy but a lot of times I I think people are using that as an excuse because they're scared right there's a fear that they have with their own success and this article it talks about really investing in yourself is not a sign of inadequacy right so a lot of people think oh well if I'm taking that time for me it means that yeah I'm failing or I'm not good enough or I'm not showing up for my my team or my work, but actually you're investing in yourself so you can be yeah. better at well, what you do. Sure, let me tell you, it got so bad that I didn't take off. I had gotten to a car accident. I need to take my car to the shop. I was mm. too afraid to tell my boss that I needed to do that. Mm. I It got so bad that I didn't go to the doctors. Like I didn't get doctor's Ugh. appointments until like here recently when I started to go to the doctor and stuff. Like it was, so, I think it's how we are like, especially a certain generation, and especially if you are a person of color and you're working mm. in certain industries where oftentimes there's gatekeeping it can be hard 
hard for you to just be like, oh, I'm going to do this because of my mental health. Oh, I'm going to do this because I need to replenish. We don't really have that space. We're not given that same space or privilege like a lot of our other counterparts, our colleagues in this industry or any industry, regardless of who you are, if you're a person of color. Now, coming up, Supreme Court Justice Alito's problematic threats around religion and freedom of speech today has many saying WTF, what he had to say next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, of course, we're getting into how the Navajo Nation helped turn Arizona blue. Again, uh, the activist behind that who's amazing joins our show. Because Arizona was called. And honestly, we have to give it to the indigenous people. They they are the reasons why we won Arizona. And so I am so excited. Yes, definitely. But let's get into some what's trending this hour. Uh, during congressional orientation, this is why. Several Republican leaders thought Cori Bush was Breonna Taylor. (laughs) You know what? I'm not even shocked by this. Are you kidding me? The racism, you know, but I am not Breonna Taylor. Um, This Breonna Taylor was murdered in her bed at night and she does not have justice of murder by the police. Um, And I just want people to, you know, We have to stretch ourselves and pay attention to what's happening in other parts of the country. But this has been national news for a long time. People have protested in the streets with this name. And it just saddens me that um, that people aren't that people in leadership, people that want to be in leadership don't know the struggles that are happening to black people in this country. And Yes, of course, she's uh, a congresswoman. Uh, she is a Ferguson activist, former National Bernie 2020 surrogate, uh, it says. And yeah, of course, everyone wanted to talk to her about this afterwards. She also tweeted on social media, it's day one, so I'm wearing my Brianna Taylor mask. A few of my Republican colleagues have called me Brianna, assuming that's my name. It hurts, but I'm glad they'll come to know her name and story because of my presence here. Brianna must be central to our work in Congress. Wow. I mean, it's so ridiculous, to be quite honest. Like, they clearly don't even know. That is a, a one. It has become a national story. It has also graced the cover. Breonna Taylor has graced the covers of every major magazine out here in this country. And the fact that these politicians who are really kind of controlling Americans in everyday lives by the legislation that they're enacting, they don't even know who that is. And they also don't even know who Cori Bush is. That's the reason why we, we vote new people in and kind of get these older folks out of here because they're just stuck with how they are and that's unfortunately represents the GOP and so annoying. Yeah, it's just ignorant, the fact that they would know that, which is, you know, why it's important to have these new faces and and young up and coming individuals who are being elected, um, you know, joining because they are informed and they're aware of what's happening right across the nation, what's actually happening. All right. Well, next up on what's trending this hour, let's talk about California Governor Gavin Newsom, who says he and the governors of Oregon and Washington have issued travel advisories urging people to quarantine. A statement from Newsom's office today says the advisories urge against non-essential out-of-state travel. It recommends people quarantine for 14 days after arriving from another state or country and encourages residents to stay local. California recently surpassed 1 million coronavirus cases. Very scary stuff, so please stay safe out there for all our California listeners. Mm-hmm. And of course, everyone in Palm Springs, sending you lots of love as well. Ugh, I really need to take a trip out to Palm Springs and just go into the desert or something. I'm just trying to be safe and follow the rules because we these, these COVID numbers are scaring the mess out of me. Mm-hmm. And they said it was going to be a dark winter, and it seems like that's the case. Now, let's move on to Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito, who's warning against threats to religious liberty and freedom of speech amidst the pandemic, saying it has resulted in previously unimaginable restrictions on Americans. Uh, This goes back to uh, that other. There's a congresswoman also who was there today who said she felt oppressed because she had to wear masks. Oh, that's uh, called out. That's our QAnon girl. You know, she <laughs> she also she tweeted talking about masks are oppressive and it's going to be really sad when um, no shade and may- maybe this is a little harsh for me to say this. But when she basically murders a lot of our older Congress people because she refuses to you know follow the rules and she refuses to wear masks, it's going to be so dis- uh, devastating, to be quite honest. 
And also on that note, and then I'll go back to Alito. She said, it's my body, my choice. Oh. And so people were saying, oh, she's pro-choice. And oh, thankfully, thank God, a Republican is pro-choice. So Twitter had a heyday with that. Well, let's go back to these problematic statements from Alito. The conservative justice said in certain quarters, religious liberty has fast become a disfavored right. So he goes on to say, uh, and this is about the LGBTQ plus community, you can't say that marriage is a union between one man and one woman until very recently. That's what the vast majority of Americans thought. Now it's considered bigotry. It is. Are you <laughs> surprised? Okay. The hashtag Million Mega March was trending today. Multiple events with names, including Million Mega March, Stop the Steal, Steal, and March for Trump, are scheduled to be held at Freedom Plaza in Washington, D.C. around noon tomorrow, Saturday. So that's when K-pop stands from TikTok and Twitter started flooding social media with the hashtag Million Mega March with pictures of pancakes. So it's basically unusable right now. Ah, social media, don't you love it? And that's all <laughs> what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right, so let's dive into some TV news because, honey, Grey's Anatomy premiered last night and I about died, Shira. I know you haven't watched it in a while, so just no. let me have my moment, okay? So season, season 17 premiere of Grey's Anatomy had a shocking return from Departed star Patrick Dempsey. You know he is 54 now and he still looks McDreamy. So he's still McDreamy with a mask? <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, it's amazing. So if you don't know the show, this is uh, uh, ABC's long-running show between 2005-2015. Um, he's been on the show that long, but then he obviously stopped being on the show on season 11. Uh, but here's how it all came to be. He said, okay, uh, what can we do to make people feel better, to give people some comfort in this time of uncertainty? And that is how it began. Um, oh. He basically was like, it was a wonderful experience to go back. And then, of According to the showrunner, um, the basically he pops up in this motif of a beach dream sequence. Uh, apparently, it's going to be happening all throughout the season. So I'm super excited. The, this season kicked off with a bang because it was really touching on COVID-19 and the pandemic. And so I loved it. And honey, that is your tea report. Just saying, Ryan, I knew McDreamy before you because that show was from my generation. Oh, my God. First. Sure. It wasn't on in 1965. I'm sorry. It, it just it wasn't. <laughs> That's what you say. <laughs> Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Now, it's a very historic day for sports. The first woman and first Asian American general manager in Major League Baseball history was announced. How about that? I mean, this is Him incredible. Yes. Uh, so th- her name is Kim Ng, and she was named general manager of the Miami Marlins. And the organization announced that today. This is what she had to say. I entered Major League Baseball as an intern. And after decades of determination, it is the honor of my career to lead the Miami Marlins as their next general manager. And by the way, she's a longtime baseball executive who has been senior vice president for baseball operations for the MLB since 2011. So go her. So I... Is is she the coach? General manager. She oversees it. It's not the coach. Uh, okay. Well, this uh, that's still a big deal. I mean, it's a major it is. league. GM sport. is like they, but they control the hiring of everything. <gasps> like that's like the boss boss. It's like oh, our program director. Oh wow! Or it's above the pro. <laughs> I'm trying to make a. That's incredible. Shout out to her. It's a big deal. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Now, the first choreographer to grace the cover of Billboard magazine is here, and it happens to be the choreographer of Ryan, your favorite artist song, Beyonce, Single Ladies. (laughs) That's not my favorite song by her, but it's by my favorite artist. Yes, for sure. Beyonce, Beyonce, Beyonce. And I've been a fan of uh, Jaquel for so, so long, and he's been doing some really incredible things. So he deserves this. Really, it's a long time coming. Yes, that iconic dance from the song Single Ladies is by choreographer Jaquel Knight. Uh, And he was only, and this is crazy, this is from Billboard, he was only 18 and living in Atlanta when he landed his first big job choreographing this video. Mm -hmm. Right? And his career, made his career. And it still leaves him speechless. He, He said, it's still something I cannot put into words, the feeling of being part of something so huge. You know, talk about global world social impact. But listen to this. He recently got approval from the U.S. Copyright Office for the single ladies hand flick. He copyrighted that. What? Oh, my God. He going to make so much money. Yep. He says 
because I'm in the process of copywriting my entire repertoire. So the past 12 years of work, starting with everything that has gone viral in the past five years. So a yes, queen to that. Which he also has directed um, and choreographed uh, the Beyonce's Homecoming, the Coachella. It's, uh, it's, oh, so, that's huge. Yeah. So, I mean, he's been working with her for a very long time and, and she always keeps the greats near her and she always believes in young black talent, which I'm, I always admire about her. And, you know, I hope I have my moment with her or something, you know, I, I just let me have a moment where she sees me or hears me. Or let's yeah, me let, share I want I want you to have the moment that I'll ride on your coattails, please. Beyonce, save us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Uh, that does it for our show today. Thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you for being part of our Let's Go There and Channel Q family. We appreciate you and we hope you had a, a beautiful week and we survived and you have a great weekend. And we're back Monday, weekdays here for you on Channel Q Live, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. On Monday, we're going to be getting into uh, if Biden can actually issue a national mask mandate, how that would work. All right. I mean, OK, I, I hope he can do it because we need it. We'll see. And as COVID-19 is on the rise, what are the new types of tests out there now and which are more effective? We're going to be uh, talking, talking to actually Dr. Naomi Dabby about that, who's on our show today on Monday. So if you missed any of our shows, a reminder, by the way, that we post everything as a podcast. So you can get that on the radio.com app. Just search Let's Go There and subscribe so you're notified when we post new episodes. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. See you Monday. Have a great weekend and stay safe. Bye, y'all. Let's go there with Shira Lazar and Ryan Mitchell on Channel Q. In the next show, could Biden actually issue a national mask mandate? Plus, as COVID-19 is on the rise, what are the new types of tests out there and which are more effective? Listen live weekdays, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Channel Q or on your own time with the Let's Go There podcast on the Radio.com app.